Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN merch button click on that it'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that hey on the swag that i'm using it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear sports history network and my favorite podcaster the sports history network store shop there today blog talk radio We'll go back in time to seasons past when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory. 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History and its Memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network. In conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live from the Southport, North Carolina home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We'll cover 150 plus years of football history and memorabilia. You'll find us on the web at com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host He's a senior contributing writer To Gridiron Greats Magazine A football memorabilia historian Specialized in three <laughs> World War II items In particular Red Grange And also Seattle Seahawk items In particular Steve Larger Hey hail Portland, Oregon Mr. Joe Sparks Joe, welcome to the show This Ah, Bob, good. So good to be back. Seems like it's been a while, but uh, man, just talking football actually, with you is uh, it's such a pleasure. Actually, it's been uh, almost four weeks. I didn't realize where the time uh, the time went, oh, and uh, I, it was interesting. I was commenting to Brenda this morning. I said, you know, we wake up, it's Monday morning, and the next thing we know, it's almost Friday, five o'clock at night, and uh, I, I just don't know where the time goes. And uh, I'm not even working full-time, even though I'm doing a lot of different projects and stuff. And I'm still teaching part-time. But uh, I, I just don't know where time time goes. It's really amazing, to say the least. Mm. But it, I know it's been event, four, four weeks. Yeah. In any event, I'm glad we're back. And I'm going to get right into what we're going to talk about before our special guest yep. uh, comes on. We are going to look at a few truly amazing auctions uh, mm-hmm. that we real really briefly discussed uh, before the show. And I'm going to lead off with the GOAT, Tom Brady again, and a <laughs> 2000 playoff contenders uh, autograph uh, ticket card which has a Beckett grade of 8.5 with the autograph at 10 which is currently up for auction, and it's apparently yep. at a half a month and, and rising. Comments. Yeah. Well, you, you got to roll that out the tongue a little 
Tim, Bob. It's the 2000 playoff contenders Tom Brady championship t- ticket rookie number 144. Because if it doesn't have the championship, it's uh, it's about a tenth of the price. I know. Gone are the days <laughs> where you say the Steve Largent rookie card and people are like, oh, tops uh, 1977, tops number 177. Oh, yeah, and we all agree. Because the 2000 playoff contenders uh, rookie ticket has a rookie ticket variation and then the championship rookie ticket variation. They look exactly the same except for the word championship written cursive above rookie ticket. But I digress on the, uh, you know, the, the wide playing field we have of, you know, rookie ticket. And this isn't even just the Tom Brady SP, 2000 SP rookie ticket, which most people thought was his rookie. Anyways, uh, All right, yeah, so, Heritage has. So, oh, sorry, go ahead. Clarify for, clarify for me. What was the one that uh, went in Leland's uh, auction? Was it this similar yeah. card, or was it that other card? Correct. Uh, the, the one the that championship rookie. Yeah, so the the 2000 playoff contender rookie ticket is, there's about 1,000 of those. The championship okay. rookie okay. ticket, there's, they're, they're numbered 1 to 100. Uh, okay, okay. So, and this right. one's numbered 95 out of 100. Uh so there's just a hundred of the championship rookie tickets, uh, and, uh, and and there's a little bit of a tint to it, you know, so you, you can kind of tell what it is. Uh, but so yes, this is the championship rookie ticket that went in Leland's for the record. What was it? Two point three million dollars. Right. Uh, right. This right. one. This, this this one's in about similar shape. Uh, it's graded by Beckett. You know, which is they 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 love. Uh, it's an eight point five for the condition of the card and a ten for his autograph. I'm I'm kind of old school like you. I look at Tom Brady's autograph and it looks crappy. Uh, I, I, if you didn't, if I didn't know that was Tom Brady, if it wasn't on Tom Brady's card, I would have no idea that's his autograph. Uh, right. So right, right. obviously very subjective grading his autograph. Uh, you know who knows, but. Uh, this is an so heritage. Gotta... It's got 14 days left. It's at 470,000, which is 564, including the VIG. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. If there's only 100 of these cards, would you speculate in any way, shape, or form that some collector with unlimited resources is trying to hoard them? Ooh, Do you boy. think in any way, shape, or form is any way, shape, or form that could be a possibility? I'm, I was thinking about it this afternoon, and, oh, and I was doing a little research, and I'm saying to myself, okay, there are a hundred. What's to say somebody wants to get ten of them and dollar average them out at a, a 1.5 million each? That's only 15 million dollars, you know, to somebody who has again, <laughs> who's worth a couple hundred million dollars, 15 million and ten Brady cards. Obviously, uh, you know, they can do it. But I don't know if I'm completely off base on it or not. And since we don't know who owns them, it's interesting to see what what's actually going to happen with that one. <laughs> but um, I, again, it's you know the new new card craze. It's, it is yeah. rele- relevant because he is still playing. Yada yada yada. I mean, we talk we talk yeah. this so we're bull in the face with regards to where it's going to end up. Will be interesting again. My prediction. Is around 1.5, 1.6 with the juice. Yeah, I don't know if I could be way off on that, but because it's an 8.5 uh, and yeah. it's a Beckett, it, it's going to get less than the PSA grade. Then I, I agree right. with you. That's almost verbatim where I was thinking, Bob. Uh, because you know, to me, so subjective grading the autograph. What's more important, the grade of the card or the grade of the autograph? All of the right. autographs right. look like. Right. Crap. So it's obviously very subjective. So to me, the grade of the card is what counts here. And the 8.5 versus the 9, totally agree with you. Beckett versus uh, PSA or SGC, or SGC doesn't grade, you know, there isn't one. But, uh, you know, so there it is. I mean, plus, I I think I'm going to quote you on that. Many times I I chuckled when you said, you know, somebody's trying to corner the market. I mean, it's only 15 million. Your quote was, it's only 15 million to to help corner this. Right. (laughs) Uh, so well, I, I, I don't a, know anyone I have a more who's got than the, than the firepower to do that. I have a more than than less than mentality, so we'll figure someone's got deep <laughs> pockets. They got fifteen million to burn. 
And rather than buying a couple condos in uh, Turks and Caicos or whatever, they they prefer the cards. So be it. Yeah. Second auction item on our list here, and I, I, I was just floored when I saw this one. Yeah. A 1955 top All-American Jim Thorpe in a PSA 9 grade for $63,000? What is going on? Yeah. I'm shocked. Yep, I wouldn't wouldn't have believed it either, Bob. Seriously, uh, yeah. Is that the, in your opinion, is that a, a 55 tops All American collector trying to you know raise the average of their set, or is that a Jim Thorpe collector? Which which has the bigger drawers? It's both. My 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 gut feeling it's got to be somebody on the registry trying to increase the numerical value of their set. And they, you know, they want that number one 55 All-American set graded, obviously, in the highest grades possible. And, again, I, I, when I was collecting this set, and I will say this, I saw more better grade 55 All-Americans than I did a lot of other yeah. vintage sets from the 1950s. So, realistically, yeah. it's probably not a touched-up card. It was probably a card that was preserved over the years. And for whatever reason... Those 55 All-Americans be, between some pack finds and people, for whatever reason, saving them, ended up in a lot better condition than, than other sets of the 1950s. My gut feeling, yep. reiterating PSA registry set, somebody's going for broke. And what's 63000 You know, again, it's, it's just an amazing price. But again, does it, and I, I'll throw this out, we've talked about this numerous times in the past. Does that put pressure on any other grade, or is that only pressure is found in the higher grade and/or ungraded in a, in a near mint condition? I still I still am mystified by that. You know what I mean? Oh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, I I don't think I've told you the story, but probably like you know, ten, eleven years ago, I had a, a dealer who, friend of mine come crash at my house for a couple of days, and this is when I was collecting every set possible. And he went through every single card of mine, you know, almost 10,000 cards and looked at every single card and then set them aside if he thought they were bump worthy. So he ends up walking out of my house with about 600 cards that he thinks could be bumped, takes them to PSA personally, submits them for a regrade. And of the 600, about 350 got bumps. One of those bumps was a 55 AA Jim Thorpe. Uh, and then I had the choice. I could keep it and pay him a small commission, or I could sell it. Uh, and I decided to sell that one. And I was stunned. Wow. For three, $4,000. Wow. This was 10 years ago, probably. So I had wow. one of these stores a long time ago. And so I hate to say it. When I see something like this pop for 63, I just shake my head and go, dang it. I used to have one of these. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh. Third card on our list, 1961 Fleer, which is sometimes an unloved set. PSA 9 grade, Mr. Jim Brown of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. And how much did I end up going for? It was because I'm confused here. It was twenty-seven thousand five hundred. Correct. Yeah. Twenty-seven Sorry about that. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Because I was looking 61. on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, obviously, I've talked about the 61 Fleer, just one of my favorite Fleer sets. I mean, I just love the picture, love the history behind it, you know, uh, knowing the games that were taken at. Uh, split into two series with the AFL second series, NFL first series. And uh, the the second series, AFL, so much more common than the NFL. And maybe they were collected more. Uh, maybe they were, you know, maybe maybe the second series by the time it rolled around. I I don't know. Uh, I've got uncut sheets, and they're all on the same uh, the, the AFL. They're they're seriesed on the sheets. So who knows? Maybe the second mm-hmm. series was printed more. Maybe it was coveted more. You know, who knows? But uh, when I was putting together my '61 Fleer set, I Jim Brown was one of those cards I never found uh, in a high grade. I, I had it in a PSA mm-hmm. eight, but I could never find it in a PSA nine. Very rare card, really. 
tough to get first series NFL 61 Fleer, but still 27-5. I mean, beautiful card. Iconic player, obviously. You know, doesn't get better. Now, to me, that card was probably bought by a registry person. I, that's my my gut feeling to, to push it to that level. That's the only yep. that's the only rational argument I can make for seeing that kind of yep. price on it. And it's interesting you say because yep. my my sixty one Fleer set is in relatively nice shape, but my Jim Brown I graded I graded uh, you know a VGEX X minus card, and I really never saw over the years going through my notes on sixty one Fleer, especially for the stars. I never really saw a lot of near mint mint uh, star cards from that set. I saw more near mint mint Hammonds from that set. So yeah. that's interesting. And again, again, it could be the sheet configuration on it as to why that's uh, either on or off uh, in the grading and, yeah. and why we really can't find any. Well, that here's another metric. I've no. got probably eight eight uncut sheets of 61 Fleer second series AFL. I have okay. zero NFL uh, uncut sheets series one 61 wow. Fleer. So, I mean, I don't, yeah, it's, something's up, uh, how it was printed, how it was distributed, whatever, but, you know, way more common to find the second series AFL. Yeah. And then the last card we're going to briefly mention is the 1950 <laughs> Bowman. Otto yeah. Graham, number Forty-five, and that was a uh, PSA nine. Yep. Or eight. Okay. Yeah. PSA nine, a hundred and thirteen thousand dollars plus. You get. I, I I don't understand that in any way, shape, or form. I really don't. That's an amazing yeah. price for that curtain. Yeah, I'm looking at. I have uh, all four uncut sheets from the 1950 Bowman set hanging framed in my office. I just looked over my shoulder and I'm looking at that autogram, wondering if I could slice that out of there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a lot. Uh, I remember, you know, 15 years ago, a friend of mine, you know, ended up being a, a friend, Keith, uh, uh, Keith uh, Winslow, he lives up in Alaska. He, he bopped in and he bought a PSA nine autogram for thirty thousand. I remember at the time I was like, "Wow, that's a lot." Uh, but he, he collected the best of the best. Uh, he just wanted the, the iconic cards. I mean, uh, well, here we are. We're seeing these things appreciate. And you know, I, as we were mentioning pre-show, it's like this isn't even his rookie card. There's a 1946 right. Sears, you know, Sears and Robux. Uh, I have that uncut sheet framed. It's sitting to the left of me. I'm. I can reach out my fingers and touch it. I can see autogram is in the upper right portion of that sheet. That's his rookie card to me, but that's a regional issue. So not, not mainstream. So it's not his rookie card, but that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's more than yeah. I paid for my first house. But, you know, unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And then uh, within a few, within the last few minutes before our guest comes on, you want to, uh, make a little mention again on the 1935 National Chickle uh, sheet and set. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I on our our uh, VFC our vintage football. You know, thing. I just I don't know. I'm constantly thinking about uncut sheets, and I was just asking if anyone has ever seen a miscut 1935 Chickle card. Uh, the way we started piecing together the 48 Leaf sheet, you know, 10 years ago was I was collecting miscuts of them and you start seeing what the border, you know, what the adjacent cards are when they're horribly miscut. And you start piecing it together. And once you start seeing a couple patterns, you know, the dominoes fall pretty quick. So I just was asking if anyone has ever seen a miscut card and the answer is no, except for a George Keneally card. I, I get the feeling this is printed in, uh, you know, you know, six rows of four, you know, 24 sheets, or, you know, you know, or 24 cards to a sheet with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with, you know, number 25 through 36, you know, as a short print on the second sheet or something. Uh, so I get the feeling these weren't numerically ordered. I get the feeling they're randomly placed on the card or on the sheet, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but the mystery is still out there, but it's, uh, that's what we love about our hobby is, you know, 
those those long tail mysteries. So uh, the you know, yep, the investigation still carries on. Looking looking for clues on that thirty five long cut sheet. So if anyone listening has any miscut cards that show adjacent cards, I'm, I'm all ears. And I I did mention before uh, on the uh, board there. In all the years I've collected this, and going, again going through my notes on it, I never saw a, a miscut thirty-five shickle card. And I and you know that's interesting because I, I to me the the ones I pretty much you know have uh, handled over the years were from the sixties, seventies, and the early eighties. I really never saw a lot of miscut cards from the nineteen fifties. And I, and my theory is if there were, were they actually thrown out at the time of production? when they were being cut and or were collectors saying, Hey, I don't want this card half and half. I'm going to throw it out. So I don't know. That's it's very interesting. Yeah. If any of our audience has this, please contact us. And uh, I will definitely put you, together, <laughs> put you in touch with my co-host. All right. Our special, special guest is here and I'd like to get him on the show. Uh, he has been a guest on our show. This is now his fourth time uh, from 2012, to, uh, 20, I'm sorry, 2012-17-21. He is the author of eight books with his current book being a biography on Branko Nagurski, which was published by Roman and Littlefield. He was a former writer for my old Football Times newsletter in the 1990s. And he's also head of the research uh, library of uh, NFL films. So I'd like to welcome a good friend of ours, Mr. Chris Willis, to our show. Chris, welcome to the show this evening. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Bob and Joe, to uh, talk some more football. So uh, thanks for having me on. <laughs> and uh, a couple a couple of things before we get started. I did uh, I want to mention to our audience, uh, Chris and I were able to have a very quick visit at the Atlantic City National where he was there passing okay. through. We had a, uh, a brief talk, uh, many different things, but it was nice to see you, Chris. Uh, it's been a while. And to put you on the spot, the lead off, do you remember when you were writing for Football Times, my old newsletter, did you, <laughs> do you remember what issue and or year your first article was published in? Wow, uh, I, I know we've we've mentioned it before. It, it, it had to be ninety three, ninety two. Oh my gosh! Or was it ninety Was it ninety four? Okay, yeah, okay. I thought I thought it might have been around ninety three, ninety four. So uh, yeah, it was. You know, I had, had just picked it up and started reading. I was like, this is pretty cool. I mean. I think you had Sports Collectors Digest at the time, but this was uh, all, yep. you know just about football, so it was uh, fun to to start reading. And then I, you know, I, you know, I sent you an article or two, and you liked them, you published them. And I was like, this is great, you know. Uh, uh, all right, the, you know, the, had, the further, had fun doing it. To further put you on the spot, I'm going to read in my column, which was Random Thoughts, your introduction, uh, and. Um, it began, I would like to welcome the football time Chris Willis, the new writer, specializes in Hall of Fame players and Hall of Fame memorabilia. He has an impressive collection of Hall of Fame-related items in his own personal collection. I'm sure you will enjoy his articles. And your first two articles was Hall of Fame collecting and Hall of Fame programs. You had mm-hmm. an eight-page spread in that issue. And that issue <laughs> yeah, is rare. That's it's beyond cool. rare because there's not, there's I I only have my own copy and and uh, there weren't a real lot of them out there, so uh, it could be pretty pretty high on the aftermarket if, if it ever comes <laughs> to auction or whatever. Sure, but anyway, absolutely. thanks for being thanks for being on. Chris. I appreciate it. Yeah, and to lead off, uh, I know we talked about this before, but if you could refresh our uh, audience's memory. Can you please let them know how you became a fan of football again and the history of football? Yeah, I think for me, you know, growing up in Ohio, you know, especially Columbus, Ohio, you know, right there um, near Ohio State, uh, you sort of gravitate to to college football and football in general. Uh, uh, And then my dad owned a used bookstore. So, you know, reading, 
you know, football books in the sports section, you know, was the, the next uh, sort of uh, step in in my uh, learning about football history. And so those combinations, um, you know, definitely, you know, made me feel, you know, uh, pretty good about, you know, being a football fan and learning about football history, you know, uh, uh, you can't get any better than that. So, uh, so that's where it sort of got started. Um, sort of, you know, the love of, of football, you know, watching high state and then, you know, the Browns and the Bengals and then, and then, you know, reading a lot about, about the game and the history, uh, you know, through my dad's store. That, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I like it. Oh, Bob, did we lose you? Stop. I'm here. I'm sorry. I'll come back. Um, uh, and so, Chris, again, well, um, you know, your 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 background and your history is perfect uh, in a way to be a writer and handing off to Joe um, this new book. Joe. Yeah. Hey, you, I remember the last time you were on, you were you were writing, you know, about Bronco, about Bronco Nagurski. You know, you said you uh, you actually were in contact with his son. A lot of the stories you got came from him. Uh, just r- really cool provenance of the you know the stories you were getting and and the subject. But uh, you know, I, I I still love your Red Grange book. How, how did you settle on? Nagurski. Why why Bronco? Why why him? Yeah, it, it was actually from Red. You know, I had uh, uh reached out to Tony Nagurski, he's the oldest son of Bronco. Uh oh, okay. When I was doing the Grange research and, and I was able to interview him and we talked a little bit, you know, just get a little more insight. And uh he read the Grange book and and, and liked it. So yeah, he reached out to me, you know, thinking maybe we could do something together uh, for his father, you know, Bronco. And, you know, uh, so I wasn't planning on writing, you know, but when we sat down and talked and he had some of the material, he brought a little bit of of, of copies of the material and, and I liked it. And I was like, you, you know, mm-hmm. um, he had uh, four other children uh, living. So, it, you know, was able to get a lot of insight, you know, so, so I think that combination led to me like, okay, let's do this. Uh, it was unfortunate that when I was really, Getting into the research, COVID hit, so I couldn't travel very much. So, uh, so I was lucky that he was able to send me, you know, uh, you know, through the through the mail, you know, all the material and stuff. So, um, and do the interviews over the phone, you know, things like that. But uh, you know, travel wasn't you know all that great. Uh, so that's how I got started with it, and the project just developed. And then, like I said, we uh, it came out. It's been out, you know, it came out last month in August. So we're you know starting to get it out there and, and sort of hopefully to a younger fan base who might not know who Bronco is yep. or even to Bears fans or Minnesota fans or just general fans uh, to tell a story, you know, in a unique way. Yeah. And I, and I, will, I love it. I want to, I want to comment that this was the type of book um, when I got it in the mail that night, I pretty much was up pretty late because I couldn't put it down. <laughs> And, and, you know, not, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, pump the book for you or try to increase sales or whatever, but in all honesty, the flow of the book was just incredible. And Mm -hmm. I was just so fascinated by this man's life and, and how, uh, I was trying to think of a good word to describe him, but how precise he was in his life. And he had this foresight. In my opinion, he wanted his family to be financially secure. He was a man of very, very modest means. I, I just wish every NFL player today would read this book and understand this is the history of, of the sport. This is why you're doing what you're doing today. This is why you're making the money you're making. Because guys yes. like this put it all on the line for 250 a game, $250 cash a game. And they had no problem doing it. They had no problem living in a, a boarding house or yep. in a hotel for the season. And they gave it their all, and they wanted to win. And that was their biggest concern, winning and helping the team. And it was a team effort. And I, and I think, Chris, you, you really eloquently stated that through the entire book. And you couldn't just help, man, I really wish I could have talked to this guy while he was alive. You know, I, I, it's just, just incredible. 
truly incredible. And uh, one part of the book, kind of getting off script here, but when uh, he had the Super Bowl, uh, he tossed the coin at the Super Bowl back in the 19, hmm. what was it, 78 or the 79? After the 80, 80, it was the 83 season, Super, Super Bowl uh, okay. 18. Yep. Okay, so Super Bowl 18, he's, he, he gets a call from the NFL, and they ask him if they, he'd be willing to do it, and he said, I'll do it on one condition that my entire family can accept. Mm-hmm. Yep. That I mean, it just that just blew me away that yep. the, this man is concerned about his sons and daughters and their spouses, and he wants the entire family to share in that kind of festivity. And it, and it was just so cool to read, and it was just just a breath of fresh air to to read this uh, and just to say yeah. this is this is this is the football I like. You know what I mean? This no, is not the football. This is not the football I I try to watch. Last night's game, and I ended up turning the sound off. Okay, I couldn't take it anymore. So you know, I basically watched the game with no sound. And uh, you know, I it just it just I, I don't get it. I yeah. really don't get it. But uh, you, perfect, perfect analysis of of that time frame of the man. Uh, it, to me, it's one. Of, it's probably your best book to date. Not to give you a small head, but no, it, that, it that. is a. Uh, Incredible book. No, I appreciate that. I mean, that's part of wanting to preserve these type of stories is, you know, the yeah. early years and these early, you know, uh, stars and, and, and players, you know, that, that might not get their due quite, you know, today, or even just the recognition and, and, and you know, some some recognition and, and, and you know, some honors and stuff like that. So uh, so it's nice to hear that, that you enjoyed it. And, you know, because I said, this, this story is really, really cool and it's, it's, you know, it's a nice story, you know, and things like that. So, um, I mean, there's many more out there, you know, that, that can be told. So this is just part of, of some of the these, these type of stories of, you know, that era and stuff. So so it's nice to hear that you, you enjoyed it and and, and appreciated the, the, yeah, that type of story. It, it, it is it's a feel-good story, in my opinion, and it just makes me proud. I, I'm really proud that the story has been preserved and I'm sure the the family loves the book too at the same time. And I'm just yeah. proud to say, you know, I'm a real small part. Joe's a real small part. Everybody involved in Gridiron Greats magazine is a small part of trying to preserve stories like this and mm-hmm. the time frame of where these guys played because they have no clue. I can you imagine? I mean, think about this. I really never understood. I really never knew to the extent until I read the book of how advanced he was in his wrestling career. I knew he wrestled, but I had no concept of the, you know, the uh, in-depth and the amount of wrestling that this guy did and played football at the same time. I mean, it's it's amazing to me. And again, he's concerned about financial security for his family. And it's just just a great story to, to, to look at. Unbelievable. Yeah, that was part of the the book that uh, that I was interested in as much as anything too, because you know, obviously it's it's more of a football story, and and I focused on that a, a little bit more. And, and there's enough if you're a wrestling fan, you know, you know, there's just three or four chapters even on the wrestling itself, and and you get to learn a little bit more of that because there's there's, there's more detail to that part of it, you know, you know, like I said, but you know, you, know, yeah. you can only write you can only write so many pages. It can't be five six hundred pages, so. You know, so but the wrestling part was, was very impressive because, like you mentioned, he did do it at the same time. You know, he started you know wrestling in 1933, which is right you know during his, what, his fourth year I think in the NFL, and then 37 he wins the world championship, uh, heavyweight world championship, and then he's got even more responsibilities that entire year. And and I don't think <laughs> I realized how much he did in 37. Like in the fall, right. I mean, there were weeks where he would, you know, he would wrestle in like Salt Lake City on Tuesday, he would, you know, do Denver on Thursday, and then he would go to Chicago, you know, Friday into Saturday, play the game on Sunday, and then maybe the next Tuesday have to go wrestle in New York. Like, that was a typical schedule, you know, you know, uh, uh, throughout, especially September, October, the first two months of the season, 
he, that's what he did for every week. You know, then House eventually won out and said, look, we're going for a championship here. We need you here. So then November, early December, I think he only wrestled like twice in, in the last month and a half. And they end up right. winning the, the Eastern Division. They lost to Sammy Ball in the championship game against Washington. But he was doing both. He was wrestling as the heavyweight champion and then playing fullback every Sunday to try to get the Bears to the champ, he got the Bears to the championship. They almost won, like you know. So it's an unbelievable feat. I love it. Amazing. It's Amazing. Bob and I were talking before the show, Chris, and it's just it's such a labor of love. I mean, it, you know, you writing these books. I'm sure you're not getting rich off of them. So I mean, it is just such a you know an amazing gift to the hobby that you you sit down and spend a lot of time writing such amazing books. Uh, you know, and it reminds me of Bob just, you know, doing the podcast here at Gridiron Greats. It's just our, we're lucky to have people like you in the hobby, just, you know, writing really amazing things like this for all of us to enjoy. Oh, no, it's like I said, I, I, I thank you guys for, you know, having me on and, you know, to, be able to talk a little bit about it, you know, like I say, even if it's a, you know, you know, whatever the project is, you know, so, uh, you know, that's part of, you know, uh, being a part of that, that, you know, sort of, like I said, the project's going forward. So that's nice to, to be able to, to reach out to people and people appreciate it. And, and that's always good. Yeah. yeah. Hey, quick follow-up question. I mean, now that you're done with Bronco Nagurski, I mean, I'd be remiss, you know, our, I'm sure our listeners want to know now that you've got all this free time, uh, I'm sure, you know, you, you, you now have the time, available to get to work on that Steve Largent book? Yeah, I know we've been talking about that, I, I think, since my first visit in 2012, <laughs> so on the podcast. Uh, you, know, it's just, it's, you know, it's. I think it's still on that, you know, my index card of list of things to do, but, you know, so, so we'll, we'll see. Well, Chris, Chris, knowing that I asked in 2012, at least I'm, you know, consistently a cheese dick, so sure, uh, I got sure. that going for me. <laughs> Yeah. That's great. <laughs> getting back on script here, um, NFL films, again, you've got a dream job. What do you actually do there? I, I just work in the uh, head archivist at the, in, the, in the research library here, the producer's department. So, you know, each each project that's done, if there's any research to be done, you know, I just uh, help out with that and then uh, help with scripts. Um, you know, I do a, a little bit of editing, not much, you know, um, but, you know, anytime I can pinch hit with that. So, uh, so just anything to, to help the producers uh, get the material they need to, to make their shows better. So that's, uh, so that's kind of what to do. So give us an example of that. Like a couple of years ago, the NFL turned 100 and they came out with that amazing commercial where a history of NFL at a banquet uh, tossed around. I mean, just are, there's some bumper you know, videos that play where it starts off with Red Grange running and then switches over to Peyton. I mean, is that the kind of stuff or give us an example? No, I'd be like, you know, it, it, you know, uh, if you've seen the schedule, the schedule just came out for a football life. Like, so if you watch our football life shows, like Joe Theismann is the first show. Um, so those producers who worked on that, like if they, as soon as they get it, oh, it's greenlit, you know, we're going to do the show. They might come to, hey, what do we have on Joe Theismann? You know, so, if, you know, if it's books, magazines, you know, publication articles and things like that, you know, that might not be necessary, you know, what you see on the, or on the Internet or, you know, or on Wikipedia. So uh-huh. I, I find that material and give it to them, and then they run with it. And then footage-wise, the same way, if they need footage or something, hey, we want some CFL footage of, well, you know, we'll have to see if we have anything in house, and then we go and look to see if we, you know, if we can find that, you know. So, uh, so that that's type of the routine of of helping the producers in their in their projects. That's cool. That's <laughs> like Bob said. That is a dream job. That's really cool. <laughs> hmm. So, you finished the book on Nagurski. You you've got one on you know Red Grange. I mean these are amazing topics. Uh, I mean you got very close to the Nagurski family. They were really forthcoming with some information. You you've got to you have to come out of an experience like this with some really interesting stories about you know research that you did for the book. Yeah, I mean it was it was pretty uh, you know like I said uh, you know 
it wasn't daunting, but, you know, as you go through everything, but, you know, like I said, they had files, they had the letters, you know, from, from Hallis, which mm-hmm. was really unique in some of the contracts and, but, uh, in some of the scrapbooks. So it was, it was neat to go through, like I said, uh, sometimes you just, you can't use everything. So it's, so it might be a little daunting from that perspective. You're like, you know, you know, cause you know, not, not every, I mean, the Grange book was probably more detailed than anything I've written. So, it, it, you know, and I wanted it to be that way. You know, I kind of fought for that, you know, like, Hey, I, I want it to be this length and I want to include all this stuff. Uh, Nagurski, we, we didn't, we didn't go overboard in that way, but, um, but that's the thing. You just pick the best stuff that might tell the best story and uh and obviously like with Nagurski, Nagurski wasn't quite as as um prominent so to speak with like Grange. Grange did so many interviews, you know, so you're finding a lot more interviews and more stories and you know, I mean Bronco's a little more quiet, so uh, but going through the research, like I said, it, it's always a challenge, but then it's always good to get those nuggets, like you said, whether it's about wrestling, whether it's about, you know, the Bears, you know, uh, or a certain game, the sneaker game, whatever, and, and the sort of put that in print, you know, and, and find the best stuff and, and sort of lay it out, you know, in a good way. Like, like Bob kind of mentioned it, it flowed, you know, that's what I try to, cause that's kind of like how I would like to read, you know, is that it flows nicely. I can get from one chapter to the next chapter and, and, and still be a little excited about it. And it's not, you know, you know, bogging down or it's too, you know, too detailed mm-hmm. or something like that. So, um, so that's always a challenge, but it's, uh, so with this one, it, it definitely worked out well. Mm. Hey, you're right. I never thought about that. He was pretty quiet. I mean, Grange went on. He did, uh, you know, broadcasting, you know, insurance. I mean, yeah, he was he, – I never thought about that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, he was he, – he seemed to me to be just uh, – what a great man. That's, that's the kind of guy you would like to emulate in life. Uh, you know, you want to be a fan of his. You know, no ego involved. He did what he had to do. Family was first. Religion was there. Uh, phenomenal athlete. Uh, I mean, it's just a, what an amazing story. I was just, I was just really blown away by reading it. It was just really, uh, really an incredible, uh, an incredible view of him that I really never. I, and I'm really surprised at myself that I really don't. I didn't know a lot of these things in reading it, and uh, as such, it was a great education for me. And it would be a great education for anybody reading it at the same time. Do you, Chris, uh, do you have any other um, anything in in work or any possible works at this time for another book, or are you just going to take a break on it? Uh, no, I think I'm working on uh, another project uh, about the 20s and 30s, you know, about that uh, that era. Uh, uh, it's more of a ranking book, so I, I think I'm going to – sort of write the, the, the 50 greatest two-way players, um, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, sort of covers in the first NFL's 25 years from like 1920 to 1944. Mm-hmm. So, um, because, uh, I think there's some players that get lost, you know, uh, I mean, the rankings always, you know, can be debated, you know, uh, and, and, and people will have their own opinions, which is good. And, you know, that makes, you know, for a good debate and stuff. So, but, you know, um, there's there's some guys I think they're getting lost. You know, uh, you know that might maybe you might like I love Guy Chamberlain. You know, so but is, is that enough to write a, a complete book? You know, or, or um, mm-hmm. you know, Ox, or Ox Emerson. You know, or Vern Llewellyn. You know, but these these books can or this ranking this type of book I can do more than what you just see on Pro Football Reference or Wikipedia. You know. <laughs> So, right, uh, right. you know, so they're going to, they're going to be some, some profiles. And so, so that's the, the next project that, you know, you know, to, to, to get through, um, and, and to give some of these players that, you know, maybe, maybe people don't quite know quite as well. I mean, obviously the Red Grangers are going to be on there and the Don Hudson's yeah. and Sammy Bolt, but then like I said, you get the, you know, get the Vern Llewellyn's and the, the award, the award cups and the, you know, you know, Pop Lumpkin and, and those type of players on there too. So. Sounds great. How'd you come up with that topic? That's pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I would imagine you know, uh, you know, Chuck Bednarik is in there. You know, he's, you know, when I uh, when I think of two way players, he's from the he's actually one of the first ones that comes to my mind. Yeah, uh, he's actually not on the list. Um, oh, because I'm I'm really just doing from 
the first 25 years. So it's, it's 1920 to 1944. So gotcha. it's, it's really the two-way era. You know, it's guys mm-hmm. or it's the players that kind of all played both ways. So, so it cuts off like right before the All-America Football Conference and then unlimited substitution or in 1950. Because Ben there was great. He's such a unique guy, but he did not play against – entire rosters are playing both ways. He was pretty much the only one doing it, you know, especially yeah. you know, later in his career. So same thing with like George Connor and Charlie, Tri- like, you know, eventually they only played one side of the yep. ball. So I, I didn't want to compare somebody like Chuck Benaric, who was the only one doing it, which is an impressive feat, but he didn't play against other guys in his era that, that was doing it at the same time. So, um, so yeah, I, that's why totally. I made the cutoff in 1944 to, 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 to do that. So, so, Joe, cool. I'm sorry to disappoint you. No, no. The, the the delay on the Largent book is disappointing. That's just more of a curiosity. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, unbelievable. Awesome. Man. Uh, what do you read? Uh, like, do you have a book that you like? Because, you know, I reread your Grange book about two years ago. I made it about halfway through. I've, I'm sure a lot of people – can uh, relate with this. There's about six books on my nightstand with, you know, various bookmarkers midway through. But I, I dig that book. I mean, there's just so many good football books. What, what do you read? What, what's your favorite book, author, you know, genre? I mean, what, yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, it's, it's, I mean, I would say the majority of what I read is nonfiction. You know, I don't read too much fiction. So it's nonfiction, you know, and I'm, I'm a history buff, so I love history. Um, I just finished uh, David Moranis' book on Jim Thorpe, you know, that just came out. Ooh. So um, then, uh, so so anything that that intrigues me history-wise, you know, um, you know, whether it's I mean, it could be from Civil War to you know, president presidential history to you know, yeah. you know, you know, you know, something from the Roaring Twenties, you know, like like you know, uh, you know, or movies or something like that that I'll tackle. Now, now football wise, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I do love their earlier years, you know, like I said, I, I'll, I'll pick up anything else, you know, if there's something on, you know, uh, uh you know, Belichick and the Patriots, you know, I might read, you know, um, but anything that's, it's done, you know, you know, like pre, you know, pre, pre merger, you know, you know, definitely interests me, you know? So, um, now some of my favorite books, I mean, uh, uh, there's, I think I might mention this before on the show, but like three of my favorite books are oral histories, you know, and they were done, uh, you know, somewhat close to each other, or at least two of them. One was uh, Pro Football Rag Days by Bob Curran and the game that was by Myron Cope, the old Steeler announcer. And it's interviews with like all the great guys of the early days. And then Richard Whittingham, uh, who's one of my favorites, he wrote one, what 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 a game they played, and, and he kind of did the same thing in 1984, you know. So, um, But I, I really appreciate those because I would have loved to had the chance to sit down with, you know, Red Grange or, you know, uh, yeah. you know Don Hudson or Sammy Ball, you know, like I just didn't have the chance to – to interview those guys, you know, you know, you know, uh, or like I wrote, you know, about Dutch Clark. I would just love to, to sit down and talk to Dutch Clark, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, or Mel Hine or, you know, or Johnny Blood, you know, so, so those three are my favorite, you know, uh, uh, you know, oral history wise. And, uh, and I enjoy that, you know, reading those type of books, you know, just to, to, to learn, you know, from, from the people that, you know, lived in and stuff. So, um, but for the most part, you know, like I said, uh, a lot of history, you know, and like I said, it's all over the place, you know, but if it's a history book, I, I'll, I could be intrigued by it. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, did I blank it? Okay. Uh, okay. Can you hear me? Oh, I'm sorry. No, you, were, you were cutting off. All right. Um, Chris, from all the books you wrote, I'm just curious, this, from my own thought, uh, from my own uh, knowledge, did you have a favorite book that you wrote of the eight that you've written? Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough one. 
uh, uh, I would say <laughs> there, there's there's kind of two that are tied. They're kind of my one and one A, uh, and that's the first is the Joe Carr book. Um, right. Of course. You know, you know, sort of not just the biography on him. You know, being from my hometown of Columbus, but it sort of was uh, an homage to the to the twenties and thirties, the first two decades of how the NFL got started and what they did through those first two decades. And then the Grange book, you know, the Grange book was sort of a labor of love and, you know, over, over many years and, and that came out uh, uh, as well as I thought it would. So, so they're kind of like one and one a. Okay. For me. <laughs> Sounds good. Very, but there, again, a wide, a wide variety of what you've written on. Um, and again, each individual book to me, uh, very, very well done with regards to, you know, really digging down and, and getting the information necessary to complete the book and uh, and make it very, very interesting and very readable at the same time. So you did a good job. One final question for you and what we ask every guest, any advice for a beginning collector and, in your case, a beginning writer uh, with sports and with uh, football? Yeah, I mean, writing definitely is pick something you you love, you know, or something you know you have some passion for because writing can be an, an artist or uh, you know like a long process, and you know it, you can it can take you a while to do it, whether it's you know a couple years. Uh, so pick something that you enjoy, you know, because if you enjoy it, like I said, you're never going to get tired of it, you know, um, or feel like it's a chore. So uh, so I always sort of mentioned that, you know, for, for, for people who think about riding, especially, and, you know, yeah. uh, so uh, just in, enjoy it. So to start with that. That sounds mm-hmm. good. I, I know, I know the feeling quite well, because I always said to myself when, when I wrote, especially when I wrote in high school um, and my first few jobs in newspaper reporting, you got to, and back then you had to use a typewriter since there were no computers. You know, you got a blank piece of paper. You put it in the typewriter. Okay, what do I do now? Type of <laughs> and then you got to get those creative juices flowing. And I said to my, I always say to myself, if I was a reporter now, I and I had a computer available to do my typing, how much easier my job would be, and B, um, how much more I, I would would have been able to write as compared to with a little old tape recorder. Uh, cassette recorder and try to transcribe what I interviewed the player or whoever by mm. and making sure it was accurate, so on and so forth, listening to the same line probably nine, ten times to make sure it was correct. Uh, that we've come a long way, to say the least. But uh, great advice, Chris. I, I appreciate it. Uh, where's your book, new book available from? I know I've seen it on Amazon. Yeah. I've seen it yeah, on Barnes & Noble. Sure, it, it's on Amazon, and it's also on the publisher's website, which is Rowan and Littlefield. So R O W M A N dot com, Rowan dot com. You can also and there's reviews and and some features on there, so you can get a little bit more information about it. Um, but those, those typical book websites, yes. All right. If we send it to you, right. you uh, personalize it and autograph it for me. If yeah, if you have it, and you can yeah, send it along, and I'll be more than happy. <laughs> That's great, Chris. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your schedule and being on our show today. Uh, no, thanks for having it. me, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, Chris, always we'll be love in touch. having you on the, on the. Always love having you on the show, Chris. Thank you. Okay, no, thank you. Take care, mm. Chris Willis. A uh, very very advanced football author great information and I and I'll tell you I'm doing the review for the fall issue of Gridiron Greats right now on the book uh, and I, I like I said it was the type of book I couldn't put it down I basically read it in one night and uh, I was just I was just floored after reading it it was just just an incredible story and uh, I just I, I kind of wish the man and, and actually talked to him because he was uh, an incredible athlete, incredible family man, yeah. incredible man of, of the, the community in Minnesota there. What a great guy. It's just incredible, truly incredible. All right, uh, we've got a few more uh, minutes. Well, Go ahead. 
from the gas station. So he, there's a very famous picture of him. Uh, you know, so you talk about you know retiring in obscurity uh, as a you know owner of a gas station. Pretty interesting. Yeah, and and you know, and he was, and he enjoyed waiting on people. He felt he was doing a service to his town. Yeah. And uh, you know, that, there's nothing wrong with that. That that was a good thing. That, that was a real good thing he did, Absolutely. and uh, he loved being. Being on his farm there, you know, the family farm, he loved providing. He helped his sisters out with college. I mean, it's just, it's just a great American story, a great American sports story. Uh, truly, uh, truly, needs, the story needed to be told, and I'm glad Chris was the one to write it because he, he did an excellent job on it. And then again, uh, I highly recommend that book uh, for our listeners and our our readers of our magazine, and they'll, they'll see my yeah. review coming up. It's uh, amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Now, get, getting back to Gridiron Grace Magazine, I do want to make an announcement because we're we're in the process of revamping our website. We are currently out of some of the early issues of Gridiron Grace. And again, for those people who don't know, uh, Brenda and I took over the magazine at issue number twenty-three. Frank Rose published issues one to twenty-two. A couple of people have asked me over over the actually at the national um, about certain issues, so on and so forth. Right now, we are out of some of the early issues, so we do not have available the complete back run that we normally offer. If you haven't if you've never heard of our magazine, you want all the back issues we publish. Uh, you can buy it at a certain amount uh, for a certain price. We're out of it right now. Uh, some issues. I'm debating whether I'm going to go back and print, reprint some of those issues one way or the other. Uh, so I'll keep everybody posted on it. But, again, if there's a certain issue you're looking for, uh, contact me first or, con- or call us first, and uh, we'll let you know if it's available or not. Then number two, uh, again, issues 1 to 22 were published by Frank Rose. Uh, I mentioned this several times to several people at the National who are inquiring about it. The most rarest issues of Gridiron Greats Magazine are issues number one and two. Uh, they yep. are very hard to find, and I tell people all the time, my advice is if you, if you find the issue and it's within, if it's basically under $200 for issue one and under $150 for issue two to buy it, people are floored when I tell them that. But I say, you know, there weren't a lot printed, and they're really not readily available from what I've seen. Uh, other issues, uh, three, basically issues three to uh, eight are uh, a little more available, and then issues nine to 22 are still to be readily available in the market. However, I do not have any back issues of one to 22. I just have our library copy here of issues one to 22 for our files uh, from that. So I wanted to clear up that uh, while we were on the air today, because I know several people have asked me. I got several emails from the, the show on it. And uh, I just want to clarify that. All right, we're down to roughly two minutes, Joe. Two-minute warning, wrap-up. I'm going to hand off to you what you pick up on tonight's show. Uh, always an amazing guest. And like I said, doing the, you know, the hobby heavy lifting by writing amazing books. A great guest, Chris Willis. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I always love the, the advice people give, you know, and Chris is, you know, basically, you know, do what you love. Uh, you know, follow, you know, follow your dreams. And that's real easy for the guy who works at NFL films to say, uh, so <laughs> hey, just <laughs> to the, that's to true. the rest of us out here, you know, who would, who, you know, who read books about, you know, Nagurski and he met the Nagurski family and works at NFL. I love it, but gosh, he's getting near to be, you know, we, we, we need to start working on a Mount Rushmore of the, uh, the, you know, the hobby, he's, get, he's getting up there, isn't he? Oh, most definitely. And, and it's interesting. I'm doing the show now in my, my upstairs man cave here, and I'm looking at my bookcase right now, the top shelf of the bookcase. He's the first author with his books there. And I have all the other <laughs> authors that I've actually known and talked about and who have written for Gridiron Greats like Mark Jacob, Mark Speck, Joe Jagorski, and a few other guys. Um, you know, all their books are in that top row, and I, I appreciate it, and I'm, I'm glad I have that that uh, connection with them all. And it's uh, it's great, yeah. and it's great to see, great to see that information, and the like. 
All right, we got about a minute. Again, if you're not a subscriber to Good Iron Greats Magazine, what are you waiting for? Check out our website, goodirongreatsmagazine.com. Final thoughts, 20 seconds, Joe. Great show. Can't believe it's been uh, been a month, Captain. we got to do this more often. It, I know. I know. I, I had some scheduling. I could, I'm still working on a, on a uh, longtime collector, but our schedules keep getting messed up, so I'll, I'll, be, uh, well, I'll, I'll be contacting you on that. And uh, we've got a few other in, in the works. We're out of time. Thanks for listening, and hopefully we'll be back very soon with our next show. GridironGreatsMagazine.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.